Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by one of our newest and favorite sponsors, and that is Photo IQ. Photo IQ offers digital photography online courses like none other of its kind. Okay, it's explained simply, concisely. There's no jargon, no overcomplications, and there are lessons for from beginner to intermediate photographer from ages 13 and up. It's the only digital photography course of its kind that offers online um, quizzes, personal feedback. You get to upload your your homework, and it'll help you build your own portfolio. It's going to be more in depth than anything you've probably taken in high school, and even if you took some like freshman level courses in college. Okay, and you can do this all socially distance from home you know we're all stuck in our houses under these uh lockdown restrictions and you know some of your schools aren't open well this is a great way to learn a new skill maybe develop an alternate source of income and get that side gig starting to sort of free yourself up so what i need you to do is go to photoiq.co and use the promo code fiction to get you 10% off. He offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. You got nothing to lose. So ditch those pathetic sunset pictures you guys have been taking. Go to photoiq.co, use promo code FICTION, and start learning how to take anything from camera basics, still life, food, landscapes, portraits, black and white, action photos, everything that you could possibly imagine. He's got a course for it. It's going to be better than anything you can find on YouTube. So go to photoiq.co and use promo code FICTION. All right, let's get on with the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceilings does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Well, we've done it, ladies and gentlemen. We have solved all of the world's problems. Well, at least we're in primed position to solve all of the world's problems because President-elect Joe Biden has named his entire communications staff team will be made up of all women. Joe Biden, fractured foot and all that he claims uh, happened when he was playing with his dogs, which is just absolute bullshit. Like, I don't know what he was actually doing. Um, he might just be falling apart, crumbling right before our eyes. But he sure as shit wasn't playing with those dogs that I don't even think that those are like his dogs. I think they just got those dogs because he's, you know, uh, he needs, every president needs dogs. And he's got like the most ridiculous fucking chachi joe biden names it's like champ and sport or something like that 
He's got like these huge fucking dogs. Joe Biden does not fucking walk those dogs or play with those dogs. Joe Biden is way too busy sniffing kids and having them bounce on his lap and rubbing his leg hair. Okay. He doesn't have time to be playing with dogs. (laughs) But anyway, he's made a bunch of other nominations to certain positions, uh, very scary nominations for some pretty important economic positions within the cabinet mostly women and people of color. So we have nothing to fear. Uh, America, as he says, is back. And (laughs) welcome back, everybody. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast. And I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. Hope everyone had a nice weekend and Thanksgiving, Black Friday, whatever you guys did. Uh, I hope that you ignored all of the absolutely insane COVID restrictions that your governor, your mayor, or whoever your local ruler is, was putting in place. And you actually got to enjoy a nice meal and some drinks with your family or whatever it is you normally do on Thanksgiving. I got together with a a friend of mine here and we we went out to a, a bar, met a couple people there, had a nice dinner, went out way too late into the night and and then ended up going the, this guy invited us to go fishing this canadian guy jesus and um so we set up fishing for like 6 45 in the morning on friday and i think i got back at about 3 a.m grabbed a couple hours of sleep got up and we went down to the marina to meet this this kid there and the the guy who was gonna gonna take us to the boat and of course the canadian's not there and every bone in my body was telling me, let's just blow this off. We didn't actually pay these guys anything yet. He, the Canadian kid, had set this up. He had already paid them $300. And so we were going to, we were going to tack on to that and change it from like a four-hour day inside the bay to a full eight-hour day outside of the bay, try to catch some big fish, maybe a marlin or something like that, some big tuna. And when this kid's not there and it's 7 a.m., I'm looking at my buddy. I'm like, dude, let's just go. Let's just go back to bed. <laughs> you know, we're exhausted. He was, my buddy was ill. Like he was, he was barfing into the fucking uh, marina. He was having a, a hell of a morning. I don't know what was wrong with him, um, but he wasn't feeling too well. But for some reason, he calls this kid, wakes him up, tells him to get his ass down here. And so we stand around and, and wait for him for like another 35, 45 minutes or something like that. And he finally shows up. And then we go out for nine hours, nine hours out in the uh, the open seas, which were a little rough that day. I didn't, um, I managed to, to avoid the seasickness, but I, I can't say the same for other people on the boat. And we caught absolutely nothing, nada. I mean, we grabbed a couple of skipjack, which are these little tuna things that we used as bait. You know, they're they're probably like eight, ten inches long or something like that. Caught. I caught six of those right off the bat. Well, I caught four, and then this kid pulled in two. My buddy was passed out on the bow of the boat for, for the first couple of hours. And with yeah, after that first five minutes, we, we caught nothing. We used all of those skip, well, almost all of those skipjacks as live bait. So we had eight lines in the water for nine out for well, not nine hours because it takes an hour to get out there and an hour to get back. So it was about seven hours with eight lines of live bait on there and not so much as a nibble the whole day was pretty miserable 
I don't know what else to say, but I mean, all things considered, it was still, you know, you're, you're still out in the water, you're, you're having fun with, with friends or whatever, and I don't know if you can call what we did that day fishing, but that's, uh, that's how my Friday went, and then, uh, you know, had a nice weekend or whatever, and I'm back here on Monday talking to you fine folks. There's been quite a few um, interesting developments around the world that I thought we might talk about today. But what I want to focus on is mostly this uh, Joe Biden appointees and I think what are, what are going to be the economic ramifications for this because I was looking at the stock market today. It is at almost every index is at all-time highs or retesting all-time highs. We've got Bitcoin at uh, just touched some, some new highs, I think, today or it might have been yesterday. I can't remember exactly when it happened, but it's right up there. Gold actually got hammered back down below 1800 we're seeing a lot of uh, new IPOs. The Airbnb and DoorDash are planning major IPOs for the middle of December. And they're like insanely, I think uh, DoorDash is pricing it at $75 to $85 a share. And uh, what's Airbnb at? Oh, it's not going to tell me. But they're trying to raise about 30 to $33 billion in what they're calling the hottest IPO markets in recent memory. They're asking for a premium for investors when they go public in December. And normally what happens with these IPOs is they price them lower. They, they set the valuations lower than they initially think, you know, conservatively. And then they move higher as more demand materializes. But that is not what they're doing here. It's reminiscent of the, I think, the amount of IPOs, the amount of money being raised in IPOs, initial public offerings for those of you who know ABLA. And it's basically when a, a company just goes public and they're selling shares of the company to people like you and me. Um, I, there's been more than $140 billion raised in 383 IPOs on the U.S. exchanges so far this year. And that exceeds the previous year record high that was set at the dot-com bubble in 1999. This is a very big departure from reality, right? We've got, I don't know, was it 40, 50 million people out of work, uh, lost their jobs. We've got 20 million people on unemployment or something like that. The economy is in shambles. Everything's shut down, locked down. We got this second wave coming, right? I, I just saw that California is instituting some more draconian measures. Everyone's talking about closing down businesses. Millions of small businesses are getting crushed. They're closing left and right. And stock market's at all-time highs. NASDAQ, Dow Jones, uh, you name it. This should not make sense economically unless you understand what the Federal Reserve is doing and what the markets are predicting is going to happen from some of these Joe Biden appointees, notably Miss Janet Yellen, who maybe you guys remember her. She was the Fed chairman that followed the Ben Bernanke. So we had Ben Bernanke who presided over the beginning of quantitative easing. And if you don't know what quantitative easing is, or if you need a refresher on that, I suggest you scroll back through some of the historical episodes of this show, because I've gone over it several times in um, excruciating detail. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I kept it light and uh, pretty, pretty easy to follow, I think. But 
so Ben Bernanke started the quantitative easing, and then uh, Obama, I think in his second term, nominated um, Janet Yellen. And she, I mean, went gangbusters with the quantitative easing, with propping up and backstopping the stock market, whatever the, the markets needed to do to create that wealth effect through stocks, she was willing to do it. I think she raised interest rates once after President uh, Trump was won election. I think, you know, the December before he, he was uh, um, sworn in, they, they raised rates one time for the first time in eight years. So she's been nominated as the uh, Secretary of Treasury. And if confirmed, she will be the first woman to lead the Treasury Department in it's 231 year history. Hooray, hooray, right? So we got her in as, uh, as Secretary of Treasury. We've got um, his whole White House press team, the communications team, is all going to be women, which is just <laughs> for a, you know, a, a pervert who gets a little handsy and nosy with the, with the ladies like Joe Biden. I mean, this is perfect. And that's probably what I'd do if I was president. I mean, not that he's actually the one that's, I mean, the, the idea that Joe Biden is handpicking all of these people when he's, he can't even fucking, you know, remember what day of the week it is, is pretty ridiculous. But not a bad idea to just have to surround yourself with a bunch of women. <laughs> of course, communications, right? That's, uh, <laughs> these jokes really just write themselves. <laughs> but expect to see a lot more of this just meaningless hollow political appointments where they can point to like, oh, this is the first woman and this is the first like Asian woman. This is the first black woman to do this. And this is the first black guy to do that. They're going to put these symbolic establishment people into these positions where they get to say, hey, look, you know, look, I'm, I'm committed to diversity and, and breaking the glass ceiling and blah, 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 blah. When in reality, the th- these people are, uh, especially on the economic front, just complete ignoramuses. Is that a word? They, they have no idea what they're doing, but it's going to look good as the entire economy comes crashing down and inflation starts running rampant through the, through the economy. It, it will look very nice to be able to point to the first women, a woman in charge of this or black woman in charge of that. That's all that really matters, right? Let's take a quick second and thank our other sponsor for today's show. You guys know them very well. They've been a sponsor with us longer than anybody else. And that, of course, is Lorenzotti Coffee, the premium Italian coffee and coffee brewing supplies delivered right to your door, brought to you by two liberty-minded entrepreneurs that came together over their love of coffee and their inability to find a decent cup on this side of the pond. It's not too late, guys, to get your jumbo bundles for the holidays if you're going to be stuffing stockings and everything like that for the holidays. Get yourself a couple tins of Lorenzotti coffee. It would make a perfect stocking stuffer. It's beautifully packaged. It's delicious coffee. Everybody's going to love it. He's also, for a limited time, has a couple of these coffee grinders left. So those would make great stocking stuffers. I don't understand why every listener of the Peddling Fiction podcast doesn't buy at least a couple tins to pass out to their relatives during the holidays. I mean, 
come on, it's the perfect opportunity, right? You get to give somebody a great gift. Everybody likes coffee, or at least everybody knows somebody who likes coffee, right? And you get to help out the the show and one of the, the best sponsors that we have on the show here. So I don't know what you guys are waiting for. Get this done today. Get some of this Christmas shopping done out of the way, just over with. Imagine, you know, you get to brew up a, a pot of a premium Italian coffee on a cold Christmas morning before you guys start opening presents and everything like that. You're surrounded by friends and family. It's going to be the the perfect gift for the holidays. So go to lorenzotti.coffee. Use my promo code FICTION so they know I sent you. I better see a huge surge in our numbers this month because each and every one of you guys has to buy your, your mom, your dad, your sisters, your brothers, uh, at least one tin of coffee. Do it for me, do it for them, and do it for Lorenzotti.coffee. Don't forget to use promo code FICTION. You'll get 10% off your order, and if you order enough coffee, you'll get free shipping. So go to Lorenzotti.coffee, use promo code FICTION. All right. That's all that really matters, right? I mean, that's what's important, that we have people of color and women, and uh, or what do they call them? Uh, not supposed to call them women anymore individuals with a uterus or whatever, <laughs> I forget what the exact term, uh, proper term for them is. But yeah, so I have an article here from the Wall Street Journal, just fawning over Barack, uh, over Joe Biden's economic team that draws on deep experience with focus on jobs, wages, and inequality, right? Okay, so President-elect Joe Biden's choices for his White House economic team. And by the way, I guess we're just going to assume that none of these lawsuits that the Trump administration has going on right now are going to bear any fruit. If I was a betting man, I wouldn't put money on Trump, but you, I don't think you can count him out just yet. He, just, he did just have a pretty nice day in uh, Pennsylvania where they were going over the evidence of uh, voter fraud. And it was like they, they came to the, they had this guy testifying that upwards of like 570,000 600,000 votes, something like that, went for Joe Biden, and like 3,200 went for uh, Trump. I mean, some of these things, there's a lot of um, really fishy things that happened during the election that feel however you feel about it. To just write it off as like, oh, there's no evidence of voter fraud or anything like that. That is just not true. I mean, there, there, there is some evidence. You might not find it as compelling as some other people do. I mean, they have a lot of uh, testimony, you know, sworn affidavits and things like that. But, I mean, just there's like, let's just run through some of the, uh, some of the things that don't really add up real quick, shall we? So we had uh, Joe Biden got something like 80 million votes, which is more than... Barack Obama, Black Jesus, received in 2008, being the first black president who was far more charismatic. He was actually campaigning. He was giving fantastic speeches. He was filling out huge crowds. Uh, I remember when he was inaugurated in, in Chicago, they had this huge thing in Grant Park. Millions of people were there. And, um, and he did very well, Barack Obama did, with obviously with minority voters, right? Joe Biden lost minority voters to Donald Trump, okay? He, he broke a 60-year precedent by winning nationally despite losing in bellwether states and counties. So the last time that happened was the, when uh, John F. Kennedy won in 1960. And that, 
that whole election was very uh, suspect as well. You had the mafia basically uh, with this big get out the vote campaign. So there's a lot of uh, weird things going around in 1960 as well. And so that's an interesting little tidbit. Then you have the the Trump ticket. Like, there were votes all the way down the ticket for Republican candidates, right? That's why they, they, held, they made gains in the House and they managed to hold the Senate. I know we still have the Georgia runoff thing coming, but there was no blue wave down the ballot. And that's because most of these ballots that came in, especially the ones that came in at like four o'clock in the morning by the hundreds of thousands for Biden, they just had Joe Biden selected. They had no no other votes down the bat, down the ticket for Democrats or anything like that. So that's a little weird. And couple that with the fact that Trump got like 10 million more votes than he did in 2016. He made gains in the African-American community. He made gains in the Hispanic community. The only place that he lost was like white men, I believe. So um, his support among blacks grew by 50% while Biden's fell below that the 90% mark, which is historically the mark that Democratic candidates needed in order to secure victory. Then you have all the, the stuff, the weird things that happened on election day where you have every swing state essentially pretending, like simultaneously pretending to stop counting ballots, sending everybody home, and then continuing to count and miraculously finding hundreds of thousands of votes for Biden. I mean, that is just fucking ridiculous. So it's like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada, Georgia. They all did this. And they're just like, it was right when Trump had like a commanding lead. And he, it looked like he was going to run away with this thing. And then like, oh, we're going to stop counting. Uh, we're tired. Everybody go home for the night. And and then um, when, once everybody goes home and you go to bed, oh, look, look, we, we found, a, you know, 185,000 votes here for uh, Joe Biden in, in, uh, in Wisconsin and like 10 votes for Trump. Um, there's a lot of questions going around about these voting machines and the the company that designed the the software or whatever. I, I don't even think I should say the name. You guys probably have already heard it. But if I say it, there's a good chance that th this episode will get taken down from YouTube or iTunes or something like that. I, I don't know. I don't want to risk doing that just because, um, I don't know, I want you guys to hear the episode. So there are just, I mean, there, there's a lot of um, the, the preponderance of evidence, I guess you could say, is fairly compelling for there being some sort of fix in, in this election, like some sort of voter fraud. I mean, obviously, there's voter fraud in every election. And you hear, you know, everyone's talking about, well, it wasn't widespread or something like that. And it doesn't have to be, though. It doesn't have to be widespread in order to flip the election. It just has to be targeted to specific areas like these swing states. And it looks like that's exactly what happened. And some of these statistics, like these numbers are just statistically impossible. 570,000 votes for Biden and to 3,000 for Trump. I mean, somebody please explain. I'll, I'll listen if you have an explanation for how that's statistically possible. I mean, that, that just seems absolutely ridiculous to me. And then when you take that, take all of that with what happened the last four years and you have impeachments, a deep state coup, the entire establishment trying to undermine or 
remove Donald Trump from office, uh, um, stealing the election from uh, stealing the nomination from Bernie Sanders. I mean, there's they had motive, means, and opportunity to do to do exactly what um, people are alleging them to do. So I don't know. I if I were a betting man, like I said, I don't think Donald Trump is going to be, be able to pull this off, but. It is just kind of interesting that there's not even like a, a pretense that he could in the in the mainstream media. It's just like, nope, the Joe Biden is the president. We declared it. He's now the president elect and he's going to play president. And, and it's going to be like, um, I don't know if you guys watch The Office at all, but when like uh, Andy goes on like that, that sailing trip or whatever for like three months and that British uh, ginger just like moves into his office and just starts like pretending to be the manager. And it's just like by the time he gets back, they're so entrenched that it's too late to do anything. That, that kind of feels like what uh, Joe Biden is doing here. And he's named his economic team, the, the ones who are going to bring us back from the brink of, of economic disaster and, ha- and start rebuilding the economy. This is his team. It includes an array of advisors with crisis experience, policy chops, and deep focus on labor markets, including how to boost wages, maximize employment, and combat discrimination. Okay, um, we'll get into that. The, the pick also suggests an emphasis on personal relationships with the boss. Several of Mr. Biden's choices are former Obama administration officials or advisors from his 2020 campaign. I mean, look how that worked out. That could help elevate the influence of the White House economists, especially at the Council of Economic Advisors, whose role was diminished during much of the Trump administration. I mean, I don't know if that's uh, if that's true or not, but that role should be eliminated altogether. Why does the president have economic advisors? That he shouldn't be doing anything with the economy. He shouldn't be talking about it. He shouldn't be writing executive orders, or they, there shouldn't be any legislation affecting the economy. Nothing. He doesn't need economic advisors. He shouldn't be touching the economy with a ten foot pole. And this is the problem with government today. They think that. The, the economy needs to be built by these politicians in Washington, and they know how to boost wages, and they're going you know, to write stuff down furiously on the pieces of paper, thousands of pieces of paper, and that's going to boost wages, maximize employment, and combat discrimination. Look, the only way to boost wages is to increase productivity, and you don't increase worker productivity by passing a bunch of fucking laws and making you know thousand pages of legislation and regulation and economic rules and shit that they got to fucking all this compliance stuff they got to abide by. That's not how you boost wages. Anyway, overall, back to the article. Mr. Biden's chosen advisors favor a bigger government role in ways, raising wages and employment. Cecilia Rouse, Mr. Biden's choice for the CEA chairwoman, that's the Council of Economic Advisors, and Brian Deese, his pick to lead the National Economic Council, the NEC, both served in key advisory roles during the aftermath of the 2007-2009 financial crisis. Oh, thank God for that, because everything we did in the wake of that crisis was exactly what, what needed to happen, right? We needed to bail out the banks. We needed to bail out Wall Street. We needed to create trillions of dollars out of thin air and give it to the fat cats on Wall Street. Tax Joe Sixpack to do that. 
I mean, everything they did in the wake of the 2009 financial crisis was the exact opposite thing you should do if you're trying to rebuild the economy, as they say. I mean, everything they did just made the economy weaker and more susceptible to the next financial crisis. So that's who we've got in there now. Two people that cut their teeth making the biggest economic disastrous policy decisions the, the world has ever seen. And we just haven't quite felt the effects of it yet. Um, she was a member of CEA and he was deputy NEC director at the time during those crises. Miss Rouse also served during the Clinton administration on the National Economic Council. Oh, so when we, you know, when we blew up the dot-com bubble. So she's got a lot of bubble-blowing experience, apparently. Jared Bernstein and Heather Bauschi Mr. Biden's choices to round out the CEA were among a group of economists who regularly briefed Mr. Biden during the campaign as the coronavirus pandemic unfolded. Mr. Bernstein, a senior fellow, fellow at the Center on Budget and Pro Policy Priorities, served as Biden's chief economist during the Obama administration. Let's take a quick break for a second because I have a brand new sponsor that I am very excited to have them on board. And I think all of you smokers out there listening to the Peddling Fiction podcast are going to love this product as well. We're getting into a, a time of year where it's freezing cold outside. Maybe you don't want to have to go outside the bar or the restaurant or your office or wherever you're at to go get that nicotine fix. Instead of doing all that, all you have to do now is grab one of your Zipix toothpicks. These are nicotine-laced flavored toothpicks that were created in 1993 in a pharmacy, and they are FDA registered, which is pretty cool. So basically, you can take these to help curve your cravings for, for nicotine for all you smokers out there. They come in six delicious flavors. I know he's got a whiskey one that I'm pretty excited to try out. But each toothpick, and this is really cool, each toothpick is infused under like a vacuum with, with nicotine and flavor. You can use it anywhere you can't use a cigarette. So uh, I know for people that are suffering over there in Chicago, it's about to get pretty damn cold outside. And maybe you don't want to go outside to smoke the cigarette. You can pop one of these in your mouth wherever you are. You don't have to worry about smelling like cigarettes, tasting like cigarettes. You'll keep your teeth nice and white, and you can still curve those nicotine cravings. So I'm, I'm really excited about this. It doesn't involve putting a bunch of stuff in your mouth and having to spit every couple of minutes or keeping a, a big wad of tobacco in the side of your cheek or a bunch of nicotine gum or something like that. This is it's a toothpick. You can pop it in. You can pop it out. You can take a little bit now. You can save it for later. Pop it back in when you have another craving or anything like that. It just seems like another great option for anybody that smokes or that dips or likes chewing tobacco or something like this. This could be a great alternative for you. That's very easy to, to handle, easy to operate. And that doesn't gross a lot of people out. I know a lot of women out there are disgusted by uh, people who do chewing tobacco or dip. You know, I used to dip a little bit when I played baseball. And believe me, fellas, the ladies do not like it. All right. I'm, I'm sure they would prefer you just pop a toothpick in your mouth to satisfy those cravings. They cost less than cigarettes, less than dip, less than chew, and any of the other over-the-counter nicotine alternatives. They offer two milligram and three milligram toothpicks. And for $5.99, you get a 20 pack free shipping and they also have a flavor bundle an ultimate flavor bundle it has all six flavors in 20 count packs so if you want to try them all that would be the best 
way to do it. It's really the best of both worlds <laughs> this day and age where nowhere in the United States can you smoke a cigarette, right? First, it was the, the smoking section. Then it was outside the door. Then it was 10 feet from the door. Now you're like down the street in an alley freezing your balls off. Forget all that. Get yourself some Zipix toothpicks. You can zip more, smoke less. So go to zipixtoothpicks.com. Use my promo code FICTION so they know I sent you, and you'll get 10% off your order. That is Zipix, Z as in zebra, I-P-P-I-X, toothpicks.com, promo code FICTION. And Ms. Bauschi, the president and co-founder of the Washington Center for Equitable Growth, previously worked on Capitol Hill for the Joint Economic Committee. It's pretty clear from the choices thus far. They're putting together a team of people who will walk in the door as if they're already on the job the day before. <laughs> okay. Uh, they're dealing with an economic mess. They're dealing with a lo logistical health mess. And they're dealing with what I'm assuming will be a governance mess. mess. They're, they're looking to put in place folks who don't need three months to catch up. Much of the White House economic policy is run through the National Economic Council and the Council of Economic Advisors. The NEC helps coordinate and formulate policy across federal agencies, while the CEA acts as an internal White House think tank, God, if you can call that thinking, evaluating the cost and benefit of administration proposals. The team's most pressing task will be leading an economic recovery that appears to be cooling as virus cases surge across the country and job growth is slowing. Several of Mr. Biden's choices have argued for more aggressive fiscal stimulus that will return the economy to pre-pandemic health faster and for policy changes that will narrow racial disparities and lead to more equitable recovery. Oh my God. Okay, so... The biggest problem is that we didn't have pre-pandemic health in the economy. The economy was sicker than it was with the coronavirus. The, I think I probably made this analogy before when the uh, pandemic first broke out. But the economy had a ton of underlying conditions, okay? We had diabetes. We had high blood pressure. We were morbidly obese. You'll write down the ballot of the worst possible thing, underlying conditions you can have. That was the state of our economy. Thanks to all of these policy procedures that came out of the 2008 financial crisis, these people that worked on it that he's now naming to these cabinet positions, and thanks to Janet Yellen and Ben Bernanke's doing at the Fed, and Powell after them, the quantitative easing, the toxic asset relief program where they just bought a bunch of the fucking shit that nobody, all the, the bad loans and everything that were on these banks' books, they bought those all up. They're buying horrible mortgages, treasury bonds, at billions, $80 billion a month for years on end, and most recently, just creating more money out of thin air and giving it directly to the American people. You see, before what was happening, why a lot of Austrian economists and libertarians, probably myself, uh, I was definitely guilty of this, when we were talking about the, uh, the Fed's and the government's approach to solving the economic crisis, right, was to create fiscal stimulus. And when we saw what they were doing, basically creating trillions of dollars out of thin air and buying mortgage-backed securities and treasury bonds and injecting all of this liquidity into the stock market, and there were calls for inflation. Well, we did see inflation in the stock market. That's how we went from the March lows in 2009 to Dow 30,000 today. 
That's all of the inflation from these uh, Federal Reserve monetary policy, okay? But what they're doing now in the wake of the lockdowns and the coronavirus is they found an excuse to, instead of trying to create the wealth effect through rising stock prices, I mean, that was their stated goal. Go back and listen to Ben Bernanke or Paul Krugman and, and these people. They wanted to make people feel wealthier by having their stocks increase in value. And then you can borrow against that portfolio and put a second room addition onto your house or redo your bathroom and your kitchen and things like that. That was the wealth effect that they were going for. Now what they're doing is they're they're going to be giving money directly to the American people. And that is when you're going to start seeing a lot more of the inflation. Inflation in the things that you buy every day. Because now that, that money get, is going to get right into the hands of the American people, and they're going to spend it immediately. That's what we do. We spend. We don't save anything. We spend. And the more dollars you have in circulation, and the more that those dollars are being transferred between people throughout the economy, the, the more you're going to see prices for things rise. So brace yourself. Inflation is coming. And then on top of that, you know, especially with the the Joe Biden administration, even if he doesn't get even if the Senate flips like completely for Republicans and they have control of the House, they don't need that's the problem, right? They don't have to pass legislation anymore to do a lot of this damaging fiscal stimulus. They can just have the Federal Reserve do it. So the the Federal Reserve doesn't have to have congressional approval to act. They can just do it. It's one of the one of the reasons why we have to end the Fed. They're supposed to be this um, independent private organization, but they're completely in cahoots with the government and they're more than willing to do whatever is necessary to placate the people that appoint them as uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve. So you're going to see that the Federal Reserve continue to do all of this fiscal stimulus for the stock the, the stock market. They are not going to let that go down. We are at all-time highs right now. They are going to do whatever they need to do to backstop that. That's where that whole saying that of buy the fucking dip comes from. Because every time that the market goes down, they will find a way to inject more money into that stock market to goose these numbers. And you can have huge companies like uh, Google, Apple, Amazon, they get to Tesla, right? They get to borrow money thanks to the Federal Reserve suppressing interest rates, keeping them artificially low. They These huge companies, instead of spending the cash that they have on hand, and some of them have a ton of cash on hand, you know, tens, hundreds of billions of dollars on hand in cash, they'll go out and they'll borrow $20 billion because it costs them nothing to do it. The rate of interest that they can get borrowing money is lower than the rate of inflation. So they are getting free money thanks to the Fed, and then they get to buy back their stock, their stock price goes up, the shareholders are happy because they're seeing their stock portfolios increase, all of the, the big wigs at these companies are happy because they're getting huge bonuses, and that you know they have stock options as well within the company, so they're getting wealthier on paper too. 
plus their bonuses. I mean, it's a win-win from their perspective, right? They're getting free money. It doesn't cost them anything to borrow it. And then they get to buy back their stock. Stock price goes up. They line their pockets. Shareholders are get, are happy with it until, you know, the whole thing just comes tumbling down. And there will be a point where they have to inject so much stimulus into this market to keep things up, to prop things up, that they will completely destroy the dollar. And that's when the inflation is going to absolutely crush people. And that's when you're going to see, you know, he's got this whole thing about economic equity and more equitable recovery. The economy works for everyone. These are not the people to do that. Okay, the policies that they're talking about, aggressive fiscal stimulus, that gets Amazon richer. That gets Bill Gates richer. Okay, that doesn't get Joe Sixpack any richer. He doesn't, you know, he can't borrow $20 billion at 2% and buy back stock. He doesn't have any money in the stock market unless it's his 401k or something like that. Okay, so the, the people that are getting richer, and you hear Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren rail about this all the time the rich get richer. It's because of these fiscal stimulus policies and the Fed monetary policy of injecting money into the stock market, artificially suppressing interest rates so that you know all of these bankers get money for free and they get to loan it out to other people at, at, at higher interest rates. Uh, all these companies get to do stock buybacks and things like that. And even just handing the money directly to the American people to go out and spend and stimulate the economy. Where are they going to spend that money? All the small businesses are closed, so they're going to buy, they're going to go to Amazon, they're going to buy stuff. I mean, all of this money just flows back to the, the billionaires who are controlling the, the largest companies that they still allow to operate. All the mom and pop stores, they've been put out of business, they've been shut down. So either way, whether they injected it in the stock market, where they handed directly to the American people... The, the rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poorer. But it's important to remember that this is not a free market phenomenon. This is not capitalism failing. This is government intervention into the markets screwing everything up. And true to form, they're doing exactly what, they're, what they claim to be fighting against. Their policies, intended or unintended, if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, that's fine. But either way... What they're doing is exactly contradicts the narrative that they tell you. They said they're they're going to help you know, make the economy work for everybody, not just the rich. And they're going to take from the rich and give to the poor. But everything they do ends up lining the pockets of the rich and powerful. Yeah, they are going to get a lot richer while the rest of us just sort of flounder in, in this stagnating economy until the Federal Reserve completely destroys the value of the dollar, and then you're really going to see the, the pain coming down the pike and that economic inequality increase to drastic measures, the likes of which you've seen in Venezuela, in Germany during the Weimar Republic, in Zimbabwe, um, where, where teachers get paid like $10 trillion a year. But the problem is it costs like $5 trillion to have a bowl of cereal in the morning. It's <laughs> just like insane levels of inflation. Like, I don't know if we'll get to that point, but it, we'll get to a point where it's going to be running, you know, easily 7 8% inflation, and people are just going to get rocked by that. And you can't get any return. You're not going to get any return from your bank account, your savings account. They'll pay you like 2%. 
while you're losing 8% to inflation. And that'll force people who have no business being in the stock market into the stock market, probably right before it collapsed. Like right about now where you start seeing insane IPO um, off, you know, prices and stock market at all-time highs and everything is, uh, everyone's jumping in and the Robin Hood investors, everybody thinks that they're financial advisors now because everything they buy just goes up. They've made the classic mistake of confusing brains with a bull market. Everybody thinks that, oh, I just buy this and it goes up. And that works while the Federal Reserve is backstopping the market. But at some point, they cannot keep this up forever. There's going to be a lot of economic pain especially with if they continue these lockdowns and they start sending money out directly to people, $1,200 a month welfare checks or whatever you call them, stimulus checks, those aren't going to buy much once this inflation starts to really get going. And we don't have people working and producing things. We're not more economically productive. <laughs> Maybe your wages will rise a little bit, but nowhere near the level to keep up with inflation. So this whole thing is going to be a disaster, but hey, at least Miss Rouse would be the first black woman to lead the economic council, whichever, which one was she again? I think she was the, uh, the CEA, and she is focused on economics of education, studying how schools have responded to voucher programs, and how scholarships and financial aid affect student choices. You really need to study that, huh? Uh, sorry, I went back to the article here. <laughs> It really is unbelievable how much time these idiots spend studying things, and they they draw like the completely wrong conclusions from everything. Yeah, while at the CEA, Miss Rouse helped develop policies that encouraged employers to boost hiring, and argued for more government spending to aid the recovery at a time when some moderate Democrats were wary of rising deficits. I don't remember those moderate Democrats, but like I said, this spending, government spending to aid the recovery is not an aid. It's actually the poison that's killing us. It's like a mid, mid, uh, medieval bloodletting where they would drain your blood thinking that you had in, you know, toxic blood, right? And the more blood they took out of you, the sicker you got. And so they drew the conclusion that, well, well we just need to take out more of the, the poisonous blood until they eventually killed the patient. That's what they're doing with this economic stimulus, this government spending. I'm going to skip down a little bit because they're just the whole thing is just a slob fest over how these people have worked in various cabinet positions. And I think Mr. Dees went to BlackRock, of course, which is like a huge asset managing firm, uh, management firm. And uh, he was the global head of sustainable investing there. And surprise, surprise, just that revolving door between Washington and the big banks. But Jared Bernstein has been a forceful advocate for more federal spending to combat the coronavirus and ensuing economic downturn, arguing that low interest rates and inflation give the government plenty of room to borrow. He was warned that pulling back spending too soon to curb record budget deficits would be a mistake and could lead to a repeat of a lackluster recovery from the last recession. He was the key architect of the Obama administration's roughly $800 billion package enacted in the first few months of 2009 to stimulate the economy in the wake of the financial crisis. Some Obama administration economists, including Mr. Bernstein, felt that a bigger plan would have provided a bigger boost to a recovery that turned out to be slower than hoped. 
Yeah, see, this is the bloodletting thing. It's, it's always just got to be bigger. We need more. And, of course, I mean, that was one of the biggest wealth transfers from the middle class of America to the big banks in Wall Street that, that the world has ever seen until this last round of coronavirus stimulus where it's like now we're doing trillion, two th- trillion, three trillion. Uh, all told, seven trillion, I think, has been spent on this boondoggle of stimulus to combat the coronavirus. And then they say that economists have offered mixed assessments. The evidence suggests that the economy did indeed grow more than it would have without the stimulus, but likely not as much as it might have with a different type. Okay, that's a 2017 study by the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia. Oh, lo and behold, the Federal Reserve study concluded that its monetary and fiscal policy did, you know, helped... The economy grow more than it would have without it. Yeah, okay. Show me how that that study worked out because that is listen, we are just we are doomed here. Like this is this is it, okay? We can't keep um making these sorts of economic decisions and expecting a different result. The the reason the 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 recovery was lackluster is because this economic stimulus is not a stimulus at all. It's a sedative. It distorts the economy. It suppresses economic activity. It's monetary methadone. When we should be kicking the drug habit of government stimulus, we're we're giving ourselves more and more of the drug to keep us high. We need to go into rehab. We need to quit cold turkey, and we need to actually let the economy reset itself, clear out all of this bad malinvestment that's taken place over the last 20 years, thanks to the Federal Reserve, thanks to their monetary policy, artificially low interest rates, causing people to make decisions that they normally wouldn't make given uh, different circumstances. And I have also explained how interest rates really affect all economic activity. I know I'm running kind of long here already, so I I can't get into that again today. You guys are just going to have to go back and listen to the the older episodes for all you new new listeners out there. Um, But it's always good to go back and get a little refresher on some of this um, economic stuff because it can be a little overwhelming to to just get bombarded with it all at once. So the the bottom line is that this is just going to be an absolute disaster even by their like their stated goals of a more equitable and less discrimination and all this crap that they're talking about the the policies and the people that they're putting in place to implement their policies and draw on their previous experience is just going to exacerbate all of these problems to the nth degree They'll, they'll put the, the nail in the coffin of this economy once and for all. And then, of course, it'll get blamed on free market capitalism, deregulation, and greed run amok, excessive greed. The solution, of course, will be more of what got us here in the first place, more government, more uh, socialist policies. Yeah, it, it's going to get very ugly. But, you know, we we get to do it with the first woman heading up the Secretary of Treasury. We get to do it with uh, Neera Tandem, who has been nominated to serve as the Director of Office of Management and Budget. And if confirmed, she will be the first woman of color and first South Asian American to lead the OMB. We get to do it with Wally Adeyemo, Adeyemo, I don't know how to pronounce that name. 
a veteran of the executive branch, an expert on macroeconomic policy and consumer protection with deep national security experience. He's been nominated to serve as Deputy Secretary of the Treasury, having previously served as Deputy Director of the National Economic Council, Deputy National Security Advisor, and First Chief of Staff for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And if Adeyemo is confirmed, he would be the first African-American Deputy Secretary of the Treasury. Thank God. Thank God. You know, it'll be so much better when the Treasury is issuing $80 billion a month of debt and pushing us into $30, $40 trillion of bonded debt that we have no chance of paying back. It's going to make me feel so much better that we got the first black guy in there to really destroy this country once and for all. I mean, he's going to get left holding the bag if Biden, uh, if they go through with all of this stuff. And then, of course, Celia Rouse, as we talked about, the leading labor economist and dean of the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs, nominated to the chair of Council of Economic Advisors. Um, she will be the first African-American and just the fourth woman to lead the CEA in the last 74 years. So round of applause for that. And Jared Bernstein, as we went over, he's he'll serve as the uh, a member of the Council of Economic Advisors. And Heather Bauschi, Heather Bauschi, a distinguished uh, economist focused on economic inequality and president, CEO, and co-founder of the Washington Center for Equitable Growth. And she will serve, as we talked about, as the council of uh, a member of the Council of Economic Advisors. So th- this is like the this team is the perfect storm for the overdose of economic stimulus that we've been waiting for. This is this is it. I mean, and if they if they somehow get control of of one of one or two of uh, you know the Senate or the House, look out. I mean, I don't see how that could ever happen, given how uh, polarized the country is right now. But the problem is, like I talked about, that with uh, what we've allowed the president to get away with with executive orders, what we've allowed the Federal Reserve to get away with. And now you've got a very friendly former uh, chairman, uh, chairwoman of the Federal Reserve and Janet Yellen heading up the the Treasury. And it's just this is like uh, this is the worst possible combination of people. And then you have Joe Biden, who's who, uh, I mean, has no idea what's going on. He's going to be out pretty soon. Kamala Harris, the cop, is going to be in. And this is just going to be like all gas, no brakes, monetary fiscal stimulus to the rescue until they kill the dollar once and for all. So you will start to see Republicans trying to act like Republicans again and get all fiscally conservative all of a sudden now that Donald Trump isn't in there and you have a Democratic president in. The problem is they spent the last four years spending money like drunken sailors and they have no um, integrity. They have no leg to stand on. They're going to look like fucking hypocrites because they have no principles. And that's one of the things we always talk about on this show, how important it is to have principles, because now they're going to be like, oh, no, we got to worry about the deficits. And it's like, well, you weren't worried about the deficits when you blew fucking a $4 trillion hole in the budget this past year. I mean, come on, this is going to be absolutely ridiculous. And there's going to be a tremendous amount of political pressure because of the coronavirus and the lockdowns and everything for them to pass more and more economic stimulus. And it's just going to be, I I mean, I don't know what the plan is here, right? Because really what you need to do 
to get this economy going again is to stop locking everything down, let people open up their businesses, let people live their lives. But no, no, we can't do that because there's a virus out there that could potentially kill 0.01% of the population. And my God, think of the ramifications of that, especially uh, the population between 70 and 90, right? It's like the median age of people dying from this is like 80 something. This is uh, really just going to get a lot worse before it gets better, if, if it can ever get better. I don't see any light at the end of this tunnel from a, an economic standpoint, from a coronavirus standpoint, having some more really draconian measures in place, locking everything down again. And I, I mean, I can't just keep rehashing the arguments against these lockdowns, but I don't understand what the plan is here. It seems like it's just going to be locked down until there's a, a vaccine and then force everybody to get the vaccine. And then I guess we can open up the economy if there is any economy left to open back up. I did. There was a fucking just crazy assassination that happened over the weekend. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm kind of running long here, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about this because this could have some pretty widespread implications for the globe. On Friday, I believe it was, the Iranian nuclear scientist, I have no idea how to say this guy's name, Mausin Fakhrazadeh, I don't know, he was, he was assassinated. It looks like they mounted like a 50 cal onto the back of a pickup truck and they were remote controlling it, this whole thing, remotely. And they just, they lit up this guy's motorcade. Initially, you know, they thought this was like a, an, an Israeli assassination attempt. They haven't confirmed that, but they're, they're claiming that the Iranian state media is claiming that they recovered some of the machine gun remains from the scene. So they, they were controlling this whole thing remotely. They shot this guy, and then they blew up the, the truck all, all remotely. There was nobody on the ground. This just came out today that they don't think there were any assassins on the ground there now. I don't know. I feel like you got to have some spotters around there or something to make sure that this all goes down. But they're, they're saying that the, the remains of the weapon used in the Friday assassination of the senior nuclear scientist show that it was made in Israel. It certainly makes sense, right, that uh, this would be the Israelis going after him. You got to think that that Trump and, you know, the, the U.S. at least knew this was going to happen. I don't think the Israelis would do something like that without... Um, at least including us in in those talks. The one thing that's a little weird to me is that if you go through all of the uh, all of the trouble of trying to destroy the the truck and the gun and everything with an explosion and making sure that you all do it remotely so that there's no you know people that you can trace back to Israel or whatever that you would leave the Israeli markings on the gun or something like that. I, I'm not exactly sure how they figured out the gun was Israeli made, but it wouldn't be the first time the Israelis assassinated a, a nuclear scientist in Iran. A Iran does have some incentive to, to make this, to blame this on Israel as well. They get to uh, use it as an excuse to ramp up their nuclear program and enrich their uranium more than they already would and maybe stop the uh, I, I know they're calling to stop the uh, inspections that they have going on right now but all, all signs do point to Israel on this um, 
And it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me if Trump had a hand in this as well. You know, he's been trying to sort of uh, poison the well or spoil the uh, uh, Biden administration with with uh, regards to foreign policy for the last uh, couple of weeks. He's been doing stuff that is kind of like at the very least giving the middle finger to the establishment and going to make it a little harder for them to continue a lot of these these wars that are going on that that they're so keen on keeping up and this you know if Trump is trying to sabotage the the chances of of Biden being able to renegotiate the Iran deal or something like that i, I could see i could see him having a, a hand in this as well just to sort of make it difficult for Biden once once he gets into office if in fact he does i know uh secretary of state mike pompeo met with benjamin netanyahu just last week so and he's you know he's a big hawk on iran so there's definitely cause for concern here. You know, the Trump administration has been very friendly to Israel and has been putting sanctions on Iran and been very anti, you know, Iran nuclear program or whatever. So this is interesting situation, to say the least, watching this sort of develop over the next couple of months, because tensions are very high, especially be- between Israel and Iran. But, you know, we, we, we've tied ourselves to Israel, right? I mean, if they if they something happens with them, we're we're locked in with them. Right. And then the Biden administration is going to come in in a couple of a couple of months and uh, and basically try to diplomatically flip flop the situation and be less kind to Israel and more kind to to Iran. That's going to be some pretty difficult uh, diplomatic uh, relations to negotiate, I guess. And and especially now with uh, with this assassination, I think that might be that might have been part of the plan. I think whether or not we were we, we had knowledge of it and uh, or, or we were just uh, complicit. It doesn't look good and we the last time we were on the brink of war with Iran, that what was that like a year or two ago? Was that last year? I don't know, dude. These these months and years are really starting to blend together. But this is this is not a place that that we want to go to war with. Um, whether or not they have a, a nuclear arm, this is the that that would not be fun. And we don't need we need another war like we need a hole in the head. So anyway, I, I just thought this was just a crazy assassination. That's something you would see in a movie, you know. Man, just 2020 is uh, quite, quite a crazy year. And hopefully, you know, this, uh, these tensions will calm down. I don't know if we're going to see some retaliation or not. I know both, you know, they're, Iran is vowing to retaliate or whatever. So that, that might not look too good on the Jewish community over there. But we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, man. Once, when it comes to these nuclear arms, this is, this is big boy stuff. And uh, everybody who doesn't have... A nuclear arsenal wants one so that they get a place at the big boy table. And all of the ones that are already at that table want to do everything to make sure that nobody else can get a seat. Some pretty crazy things going on. I'm going to wrap there, guys. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget, you can join our private Facebook group while we're still up there. I do want my, One of my goals is to get us kicked off of Facebook. Then I will feel like I've really made it. 
So get into that private Facebook group. I did pose a question in there to see what you guys want for those of you supporting listeners of the show and the ones that supported the Kiara Fund, what you guys want as sort of a thank you from me for that. And so you could log into that private Facebook group and give me your two cents. And if you'd like to become a supporting listener of the show, you can do that by going to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. And if you guys can do all that for me, I will be back on Thursday with a brand new episode for you. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.